This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Applied Botanics, premium, consistent, and affordable wellness for all. Each of their products features a specialized formula with targeted terpenes to give you a CBD experience that helps you sleep better, take the edge off, and relieve your aches and pains to help you live healthy and happy. Newly added to their CBD lines, in addition to their drops, are new topicals that you can roll on and high-dose CBD edibles to help you find your balance. Visit AppliedBotanics.com today and use code word Project at checkout to receive 30% off your first order. Applied Botanics. Live healthy and happy. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services. Contact Keller's today and get your yard cleaned up before old man winter arrives. And if you're looking for snow removal services, they can take care of that too. Do not break your back this winter. Contact Keller's today and visit their social media pages for more information. My guest today is Mike Bay, frontman of the band Borrowed Sparks from Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, I talked to Mike about his album, The Prettiest One Left, which is streaming everywhere, as well as the upcoming release of a Tom Petty cover song called Refugee, due out on November 5th with a live video to follow on November 9th. I had a great time talking to Mike not only about his music, which, by the way, sounds very similar to the Gaslight Anthem and Frank Turner, but also life in general. Things like what it was like releasing a new album a week before a worldwide shutdown in the midst of a pandemic, the rising cost of gas, our love of late 90s bands, whiskey, parenthood, the pitfalls of the internet, specifically social media, and so much more. And if you get nothing else from this podcast outside of streaming his music, then I've done my job, and that is 100% more than I could ask for. Welcome to the show, Mike Bay of the band Borrowed Sparks. And we're live. Welcome to the show, Mike Bay, a.k.a. Borrowed Sparks. Thanks for having me, John. From Tennessee, right? Nashville? Nashville, yes, sir. Music City. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, so I, uh, I'm i based in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, I like to say Scranton uh, because that's kind of like a, uh, a name that people know thanks to the office. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's where I'm from. So when I've been in this this local circuit here in this area for about 18 years. Um, so I'm very familiar and kind of rooted in this area. So I'm kind of really excited to be able to talk to someone who is not from here. Yeah, I think, I don't know that I've been to Scranton. I know I've been to Pittsburgh and uh, a couple other cities that are kind of adjacent. Yeah, uh, but I don't think I've ever been to Scranton. Yeah, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. We're two hours from Philly. We're two hours from New York. That's like one of the whole like, you know, why do you like living in northeastern Pennsylvania? Well, it's two hours from this and that. Well, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Pennsylvania, no, Pennsylvania's not doing too well in, in my book right now, just because the gas prices are out of control. I think it's the highest hey, in the country. Man. Highest in the country, you, I think it is. What are you guys at? What were you at today? Uh, in my town that I saw today was three fifty five, but I think like mm. the national average is like three fifty or something. I forget. 
damn we're at um i went to i filled up today um and we were at 329 that's high too which is which is high for us for sure we're usually sub three almost always yeah it's tough it's tough man life's hard life's hard yeah and gas is one of those that like particularly pisses me off because you're getting the same thing you know it's not like it's better or worse or you know it's the same quantity the same product but you're paying more for it you know thanks for making it even worse (laughs) <laughs> I never really looked at it that way before. I'm just rubbing it in. My just, wife's funny because yeah. I'll say to her, I'm like, you see what the gas prices are today? It's, you know, it's 20 cents higher than it was last week. And she goes, oh, I don't pay attention because I don't have a choice. I need the gas to get to you know where I'm going. And it's like, yeah, there's that too. But still. That's true. That's true. We, we had a friend uh, this, I think this past year, maybe it was last year, that him and his wife uh, both drove like, Tacomas or some like big SUV because they had they were used to having little kids. Now their kids are older; they're in high school and they drive themselves. So he got fed up and he's like, "Forget it! I'm selling both of them. We're buying one Tesla, and we're gonna make it work." And he's happy with it, dude. You said things right there that I can relate to. Uh, my wife and I we have a four year old. We'll be four in December. And we both had two big vehicles. She had a Honda Pilot. I had a Kia Telluride. The Kia Telluride was like my first ever brand new car that I ever had in my entire life. Like true brand new. Like I think it was 16 miles on it when I bought it. Um, but again, they were, they were both big vehicles. We have one child, hoping for a second. But right now we have one. Um, and her lease was up on her Honda pilot. And I just said, you know what? We just need one like big family vehicle. And for me to have a car to get from point A to point B. So I had a Kia Telluride and like for the first time in my life, people would see the car and be like, Ooh, that's one of those new Tellurides. Like, Oh, that's really nice. Like people were like curious about the vehicle. So I gave her the Kia Telluride and I got a Honda Civic that every Joe blow in America has. Right. (laughs) Gas mileage friendly. Yes, it's very good in gas, but it's just like, now I'm climbing out of it. It's like, trying to get my son in his car seat in the backseat of that car is not good. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a challenge, but I mean, I think there's worse things I could be complaining about, but but yeah, so you mentioned that they downsized, good for them. They, They downsized to a Tesla. So I was just in a Tesla for the first time in my entire life last week. My buddy just bought one maybe a month ago and he said, I said, you gotta take me for a ride. So I get, you ever been in one? Uh, no, I haven't. So you get in and it's like, just, there's like nothing inside. There's one big screen and really that's it. Like there's nothing that you're used to on the dashboard. There's no, you know, odometer behind the, the steering wheel, things like that. Just that one big screen in the center. And he was talking about how fast it goes. So we went, we got to a point where we can like kind of hit the gas a little bit. I shouldn't even say gas because it's not even gas powered, but, um, the he, about, language, yeah. Yeah, he talked about how fast it was and i'm like okay yeah i mean i'm sure it's pretty fast um but how fast could it be he hit it and my head almost exploded my equilibrium was so off it went from zero to like 40 <laughs> so quick I, I can't even describe i'm still talking about it a week later i can't even describe to you how fast this car is like i i, I felt like i was on a roller coaster that went like from start or from stop to like, you know, 60 miles an hour in like a second. It's the, it was the wildest thing I've ever been in. 
it's because it's like what a fraction of a second to get up to zero to 60 or something yeah, like I that. Think I, don't, I don't remember the numbers, but I think it's like three seconds to get to 60. Wow. I, I don't, I don't remember, but like, I can't do it justice. Me talking about it, it's not going to matter. If you have a chance to get in one, <laughs> just, go, just pretend like you're, you want to go buy one and take it for a test drive. Craziest thing I've ever been in. I had a friend who sold them. She worked at like the dealership and she was like, Oh yeah, just come by and like you can just test drive one, and it you know you can just take it out for for the afternoon and drive it and whatever. And I should have done it while she was there. She ended up quitting that job, but that would have been my opportunity because I'm probably not gonna uh, drop the cash anytime soon for one of those. No, no. But if you have a friend, if you have an opportunity, to even just get in the car with them driving, just have them hit it, and you'll 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 know what I mean. Is this like is this like the the friend who owns a boat, like you don't necessarily want to be the guy who owns the boat. You want to be friends with the guy who owns the boat and pays all the expenses. And- exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. he does not own a boat. I think this is the, this is the probably the first thing this guy's ever splurred on in his entire life. <laughs> Nick, if you're listening, you're cheap. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy that you spent the money on the test. <laughs> so you are, so is the do you, have a, do you have a band called Borrowed Sparks, or are you the band and you just go under the moniker Borrowed Sparks? What's the what's the deal? Yeah, it's kind of um, it, it's kind of more like a moniker. I, I think of it like a uh, you know, like like a dashboard confessional kind okay. of thing. Like the, uh, Chris, that is dashboard, right? Mm-hmm. And if yeah. he showed up with his acoustic guitar and sang those songs, you'd be like, oh wow, there's there's dashboard professional. And if you showed up with a band, it'd be the same thing, different dynamic and all that stuff. Um, That being said, up until this point, I've had the same guys playing with me, which is awesome. Um, Guys I've been friends with forever and guys who the three of them have played together for well over a decade. So they're like, they come together as like a unit and they're just great and ready to rock. Um, And then I just have to keep up with them basically. (laughs) Uh, which is a good problem to have. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess your your marketing online is is doing well because I found you, um, and I don't remember if it was on Instagram or what it was, but um, it was kind of like if you like this band, and in this case it was Gaslight Anthem or Brian Fallon, who's the lead singer of that band, um, you would like Borrowed Sparks. So I hit play and I was like, wow. This is this is great stuff, and it's very similar to Gaslight Anthem. So anybody out there listening who likes that band, um, check these guys out. Um, great stuff. And I, I went to your page on Instagram, expecting to have like hundreds of thousands of followers. I don't know how you don't yet. <laughs> well, thank you. The music, no, it's great. <laughs> That's it's the goal. great stuff. It's great stuff. Um, so yeah, how, I mean, how did this how did this band form? Um, you know, you're in Nashville. Um, is this is this something that just started, and that that's why you're still building this thing, or, or kind of just tell the audience and, and me, um, you know, how it all started? Yeah. Um, so I'm in Nashville now. I've been here a, a, about ten years. Um, prior to being here, I was I grew up in St. Louis, um, played in bands, um, but I was I was mostly a a guitarist i ended up singing and fronting one band in there before i moved here but i had kind of a serendipitous 
moment where I was, I was in Nashville, um, to see Springsteen. Springsteen was playing Nashville and it was only five hours from St. Louis. So I was like, Oh, I'll drive down. I got a couple of friends here. It'd be nice to see. And I'll go to the show. And I, uh, I had dinner with a friend who's a singer in a band. He said, Hey, our, our guitarist just quit. I know you live far away, but if you ever thought about relocating, we'd love to, we'd love to have you. So I relocated, um, which is, insane um <laughs> it was going to, just, just like that you're like okay yeah i'll move it was i mean that's the gist of it but it was a bunch of things uh i don't love the idea of fate but it as close as i can see it like so many things lined up in my life where it was like oh this is the this is the path like this is the way to go um and so i ended up here i played in that band we toured for probably four four or five years and then um the singer and his brother who's the bass player they moved to dallas um to be closer to family and i was like well i moved once for this band i don't know that i can move twice <laughs> and uh was here and i was like well what do i do and i i had been writing songs on my own but really just as a therapy you know just to process life and and the things that happen and um i had this batch of songs um, and I went to, uh, my, my friend, Darren, who's the, who's produced the record. Um, and I was like, Hey, I got, I got this group of songs. Some of them I think are like punk rock songs. And I think some of them are like Americana singer songwriter things. I was like, what do you, which record should we make? If we're going to make a record, which one, sh where should we go? And he was like, well, why don't we just put it all together? You know, why, like, why, try to piece it apart. Why not take all of the pieces of your musical identity and who you are, just merge it together and try to make the best of it. Um, so that's kind of how the, the project happened. Um, and then the record came out March of 2020, about seven days before the whole world shut down. Uh, that's the story for a lot of bands and artists and uh, nobody saw it coming. You know, wow. I, um, I was with my, my wife, we were in Vegas for a, a work trip for her and it was, it was the week before anything happened. So we saw things happening in Vegas. We had heard about like the virus and, and it being in, in China and parts of the East and all and, and Europe, but like there's been pandemics specifically like SARS and that kind of things like those have happened but it's always been overseas and you kind of watch it from a distance you see the news report but it never gets here or never has an effect here until now um so we're in vegas and they are like closing casinos like mgm caesar's palace like all these major casinos are closing one by one by one and we flew home thinking like what the hell is going on? Like, this is wild. We've never seen Vegas close. Like that just is mind blowing. It's impossible, right? We thought it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, we show, we got there, everything was normal. And then by like the day we were leaving, they had a person, they had like a worker at every door. Every time you open the door, they were like wiping it down with clean glass cleaner or what, or disinfectant or something. And the workers had started to wear masks. We didn't even know about masks at that point. Like it wasn't even uh, 
something that people were talking about, but it was, it was really eerie. And then we got home and the shutdown was, was announced and the record had come out that Friday. I think the shutdown happened on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Um, so the record was out and then one by one, like the tour and everything canceled and, um, ended up picking up on the live stream thing, which was really cool for a while. That was like, it was definitely best case scenario because I would just reach out to bands and other songwriters and be like, Hey, what are you doing on Wednesday night? You want to do like a joint live stream and share, swap some songs and stories and whatever, and just have a good time. And, um, that was really fun early pandemic. And then it kind of trickled off. I think people got, <laughs> people were like, okay, I'm bored with this back to Netflix or, yeah, or whatever. Um, but yeah, long story short, that's kind of the origins of it. Um, and here we are like a year and a half later, I guess. Yeah. And did you have a, uh, a heavy schedule set up for, uh, 2020? Not heavy, not crazy. Um, I was probably going to, I think I was shooting for 50 ish dates that year, which, um, you know, I'm small time. Like I do, I do everything myself at this point. Um, but being a first release and having played in other bands, I kind of had new connections with venues and whatnot and could make some things happen. Um, but then a lot of those venues shut down (laughs) over the, the, uh, the COVID thing. So, and regardless, you have this like piece of art that you want to share with the world. And it's like, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying this because you're in front of me. Um, the reason I reached out to you and thank you for, again, for accepting my invitation. Um, t- my invite to do this was because I heard it and I'm like, this is really excellent stuff. Like, I, I can't say it enough. I, I shared with people at work who are also Gaslight Anthem fans and like, wow, th- I, this is excellent. Um, so yeah, but you had this piece of art in your hands and, you know, not in your hands, but, um, and you can't, you can't share it. And it's like, it's yeah. gotta be like almost heartbreaking. It is. And, and like my favorite thing about, um, like I said earlier, I write, I write songs for my own therapy to work through my own stuff. And then putting it out into the world, it was like, okay, cool. Now I can connect with people over this, which is my favorite thing about music. Like all of my best friends, um, we've connected over a band or, or an album or, you know, multiple bands and multiple albums or concerts and, and these have been things that have just kept me going through my life. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, now I can be on the other side of that. And I can hopefully share my experience with somebody who's like, oh yeah, I've been through that kind of hard time or I've been through that kind of good time and um, connect on that and not having the live show to do that was kind of tough, but it's coming back now. Um, done a little bit of touring this, this year, not a ton um, I think next year will be a lot better. Okay. I think next year it'll be venues will be less hesitant booking agents, bands. Cause really up until recently, I felt like bands have just been canceling shows like crazy, even, yeah. even bigger, you know, arena bands. And you don't, you don't question it. You're just like, Oh, okay. Well, somebody got COVID. You got to cancel the show. And I'm, that's cool. I agree with that. But like, it's crazy how that's kind of become the norm. Like you buy tickets and then is the show going to happen? I don't know. It's a 50 50. Yeah. 
I, I had tickets to go see uh, here in town, Corn um, and Stained. And we literally pulled up into the parking lot and I got out of my car and a guy's walking through and he's like, concert's canceled, go home. Now he's, he's a guy, he's, just got, he's got a backpack over his shoulder. I'm like, this could be a joke. Oh, it, could, no. it could be for real. I have no idea. But then I see these cars like coming up from the bottom lot, like coming to try and leave. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, nothing will surprise me now. Um, and eventually we got wind. Of, you know, it was for sure canceled. Someone in corn had um, had contracted COVID. And uh, yeah, so we sat in the parking lot for an hour and had some beers and you know, we made it, we made a, we made a good, a good thing out of a bad situation, but yeah. yeah. So we, we pull up to the, you know, the, the venue and it's, and it's, um, it's, it's canceled. And I mean, I just went and saw blue October, um, last Saturday. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Great band. Um, I've seen them a, f- a few times. Um, and I think the night before, uh, at least to my knowledge, uh, the venue had put on the, put something on the news or maybe it was the band put something on their Facebook page saying that like in order to get into the show, you had to show your vaccine card or a pot or a negative test within 72 hours. So there's that too. People are walking up to mm-hmm. venues and saying, well, I'm not vaccinated. I don't have a test, uh, you know, a negative test to show you. What, what do we do? Um, so it's, it's, it's another wild thing. And like, I'm, I'm vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated, but we still, got into the venue and wore a mask when we were like really close to people. Cause this was kind of our first indoor show that we had been to since, you know, this all happened. So, um, it just it was kind of weird. I, I don't know. It it's feels like, weird. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of vaccine mandates. I'm not going to sit here and get into, you know, what, what you, you know, how you feel about vaccines. It's not the time or place for it, but, um, I don't like the mandate on things like that. I, that that kind of rubs me the wrong way. But um, that's the situations we're we're kind of dealing with. Yeah, we've had here in town in Nashville. Um, there's quite a few like independent venues. So most of your larger venues across the country are owned by Live Nation or they're owned by um, iHeartRadio or some of these other companies, and they can when you're a band and you work with those companies, they can say, Oh, we'll we'll book your whole U S tour in our venues. The downside to that is they call the shots and what happens at one venue, you know, it's, it's, it's a corporation essentially. So like it happens systematically throughout the rest of the, the company, which is just venues across the, the United States or the, the, uh, the world really for some of them. But in Nashville, we've got a lot of independent venues and there's advantages and disadvantages of that too, but they kind of got together and all said, okay, we're going to require vaccine cards or negative tests for these shows, which are so, which are definitely regional and nationally touring acts, but it's also local acts, um, which has been interesting. We, we did a, a festival here uh, called 615 Fest, which is our area code. And I was talking to the mo- the promoter, and he was he was saying that he thinks turnout has been really bad since all of that has gone through, and um, that the venues are kind of suffering from that. And and I'm not saying it's not the right thing to do, just that um, it's a, it's people are feeling it. You know, it's yeah. it's a weird it 
I think we all had this fairy tale in our head that we were going to wake up one day and be like, Oh, life is back to normal. And that's not like, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be 2019. It's a, it's ripple, ripple effects for sure. I mean, without yeah. a doubt, I mean, we, we, we were told two weeks to flatten the curb curve and here we are a year and a half later. Still. And then, you know, we're learning and adapting and I think we've done some things right. And I think we've done some things wrong. And that, but that's part of the learning process. Um, is getting it right, getting it wrong, learning. Hopefully, learning when you get it wrong. Um, but the uh, the the venues requiring the vaccine cards has been interesting here, just locally. Like yeah. I'll go see friends play shows, and um, some some people are wearing masks, some people aren't. You know, the venues are not full. Um, where they used to be full. So it's, it'll just take some time, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take. I hope it's quicker than we all think, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a struggle. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, if my heart goes out to you guys and, and I, I'm going to ask you this question because I've asked every musician that I talked to this question and most of them have been the same. Actually, all everyone I've talked to has been the same. Um, you know, as an as an artist, a musician, you know, you you create and you you perform in front of people. That's a big outlet for for you as a musician. Um, and how are you how are you able to to deal without having that? I know you mentioned the live streams and things like that, but like mm. that's not the same as being on the stage and feeling the the energy from the crowd and and just kind of you know sharing your your work with an audience. I mean. How did you get through the past year and a half as a musician that could not perform live? Man, I, I think for me, it's been like writing and recording more. Um, it does feel like for, for me, the process is like, okay, live your life, write about your life, and then share that with people. So it does feel like for this first record, like that hasn't fully come around like it's not a finished thing um and i think that it 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 just makes it harder as an artist to move on to the next thing because you got to have like it's like sitting on a record if you've gone if you've been in the studio you recorded a record and it's done but you haven't released it yet it's weird to start the next thing because it's not the last the thing before that isn't done um, so I think that's been a big part of it for me. It's just like, it's hard to move forward to the next thing and, and create the next song or record or piece of art. Um, that being said, we've been in the studio this past year making, uh, making music and trying to, trying to push forward, even if our live opportunities are kind of sort of limited. Yeah, and one reason we wanted to talk tonight was because you have uh, some exciting things coming up. Um, November 5th, you're releasing a uh, cover of a Tom Petty song. And then a few days later, you're doing a live video of that song as well from um, Smokestack in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously, you're keeping busy. You're, you're pushing music out. Um, you know, Talk a little bit about this, this upcoming release. Um, why Tom Petty? 
why the song you chose uh, and just all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, so we went, it was back in June. We went into the studio called the smokestack, which is um, kind of a, kind of a legendary studio. Here's lots of records that have come out of there. Um, but it just has a really cool vibe. It's got tons. It's just wall to wall with gear. You got amps and, and there's a whole wall of drum kits and then another wall of bass amps. And then the other wall has guitar amps and guitars and all kinds of stuff. There was literally, I think it was 50 acoustic guitars in the recording room, just open and like right there on stands, ready to play. Um, we did, when we went and we did this recording, we, we brought a film crew with us and we shot a live video for every song on the record. So, um, I was kind of thinking, you know, we can't do a lot of shows, um, with things being the way they are, but like we could bring people into the studio with us and, and do a video. So we brought the film, the film crew in, we cut everything live, um, for this whole EP. And the first song is a Tom Petty tribute. It's, uh, refugee, which is a favorite of mine. Um, but we had been doing it. We talked about adding a, like a cover for live shows and, uh, the bass player Cody was like, what about refugee? And, um, I was like, okay, cool. Let's, you know, let's try it out. Um, and we threw it together in a rehearsal and it was like, right away, it just worked. And it, it right away felt like something that would fit in with the other songs. It didn't feel like, oh, you're copy pasting Tom Petty, which I'm not against doing that either. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it felt like, okay, this is one of our songs. Like it, we kind of made it our own. Um, and, also growing up i was just a huge tom petty fan it was uh one of those artists i think i think of like the eagles i think of fleetwood mac or steely dan and these these records and these artists that i would listen to as a kid before i even developed my own taste like i would listen to with with my dad or whatever in in the car and then i grew up and i'm like damn, this stuff is still good. Like it's, it was good then. It was, it was good for my parents and it was good for me as a kid. And then as an adult, I'm like, this is still that good. Like, yeah. and I think that's rare. Um, back in the day, you didn't have that many bands putting out music. It wasn't as accessible. Now everybody, you and I could make a record this weekend and release to Spotify next week. And like, you right. know, but that didn't happen. You had to be really good. Yeah. And, and Petty and the Heartbreakers were like, not only that good, but they were the best of that group. So huge influence on me as a songwriter, as a musician. Um, the fact that not only do the songs hold up, but the production holds up. Like they still sound good. It's yeah. still cool. Um, so anyway, it was kind of a no brainer for me to, to do a petty cover when we started talking about covers and then it happened so quick. I was like, we've got to, we got to put this out, you know, we got to find a way to, to capture this. And then being in the studio, we could have tracked it individually, which is how for anybody who doesn't know, like normally making a record today, you'd go and you'd record the drums 
by themselves. So you can get really great drum sounds. And then you go and you record the bass and then you do a guitar and you do another guitar and all that. You kind of layer stuff as it goes. Um, but Petty didn't really have much of that. They're kind of getting to that in his career, but a lot of it was you recorded live and you just, the band just had to be good. You just had to work your ass off to where you weren't going to be the guy who screwed up. Because if you do, if you did a take and the guitar player messes up a riff, it's a bad take. Even if everybody else plays it perfect. Right. So you kind of had to elevate everybody. And that was a cool thing for the band too, was to really kind of woodshed and rehearse till we all had our stuff down. That's going to be tough. You know, you're doing a live, a, a song live and recording live. It was a different way to do it. Um, for sure. And, um, I, I don't know that it was better, but we got, we got the, the tracks back and then went and, and mixed them and, um, was listening back with, with my producer, Darren, and we were like, and this sounds like almost as good as the studio record that we did, but there's this like, there's this like strange fifth element kind of thing happening where it's like, there's a vibe to this that you can't capture if everybody plays separately. And it's not even like the bleed between the instruments. It's just kind of the, if the drummer slows down a little bit, the bass player is going to slow down with him mm -hmm. and they're going to kind of rub and grind, but it's not going to happen right away. Drummer might slow down first, bass player slows down a little bit later, and you get this really cool kind of flow to things that if you were tracking it, you'd be like, oh, you, let's do that take again. Right. You know, let's get that more locked in. And this is has that messiness that I think is really cool. Yeah, it's true. It's authentic. It's, it's, it's real. Yeah. And it's very well done. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I saw the, I heard the song, I've seen the video. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some more uh, when you guys put out the other stuff, if that's a plan. But um, you, you mentioned, like, I always talk about, I don't, I don't know how old you are, um, but I always say how, like, you know, our generation is never going to have, like, you know, our parents having the Rolling Stones and, you know, Tom Petty and things like that. Like, I think, I think, if anything, our generation has you know, equivalent to that, maybe, you know, Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters, uh, mm -hmm. probably a couple more other ones. But like, I think that's probably the tail end of, of bands that have that staying power that can keep producing record after record, who in 20 years will, you know, th th like hopefully my kid says to you know his friends, hey, when I remember my, my dad playing this album and it's just yeah. as good today as it was back then or maybe better at that point. I don't know, mm -hmm. but... I mean, I just don't see, you know, music the way it is today, especially the way it's released. You know, it's, it's constantly singles here and there. And, um, you know, producing a full length album is kind of, uh, rare, I guess you could say, but, um, it's hard to do for sure. I mean, um, I think if you're a band like the Foo Fighters, it's, it's a no brainer, um, to do a full length because people will buy it, right? Yeah. Like the Foo Fighters release record, you and I are going to buy it, uh, lifelong fan, probably going to buy every record they put out um but if you're a smaller band it's the cost of doing a, a full 10 12 15 song record 
versus what you get back is just with music being streamed now, like people are digesting singles. They're not digesting for the most part. They're not digesting full records, which is a bummer because I love records. You know, I, I love, I like to think of them as like, it's a book, you know, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't open a novel and read chapter 17 and then put it back on the shelf. Right. Um, that would just, you would get such a poor experience from that. But with records, that's what we're doing now. It's obviously it's a little different, but um, I had a friend tell me something that was really interesting. He was like, music has always shifted to the medium. So think about 45s and, or not, not 45s, but singles back in the day on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Like your single was three and a half minutes long because that's all they could fit on a record. It's not that people weren't writing songs that were six minutes long. It's a, you, you couldn't, couldn't fit it. Right. And then you've got like, uh, like Zeppelin comes along and they have six and eight and 12 minute songs. And you, but you have the format at that point to do that. So it's an interesting thought that like, as much as the, the format shifted to the music, maybe more so that the art has shifted to the format. And we're seeing that with streaming now, like bands releasing singles single after single maybe they put it together for a record maybe they don't but used to do one single maybe two and now it's like you're gonna do almost every song as a single right yeah i've I've talked to bands who are promoting a single release like they would be in a full-length album you know Mm -hmm. 10 15 years ago what what are your thoughts been that's how it's been for it with pop music forever yeah um, you know, I love, I, I guess I probably fall into rock and roll, but like, um, I love pop music. I love jazz. I love country, I love blues, anything, give it to me. And I'm like, I'm into it, but that's been the format for pop. I mean, even think about in the nineties and, and early two thousands, like, yeah, those bands released records, but only to put enough singles together to sell you something because you were going to buy a record. Um, I remember as a, as a kid in high school or even junior high going to Walmart and you could buy single CDs that were mm-hmm. singles and, um, everybody was doing that. Like anything from pop to rock to whatever, everybody would put out their single or maybe it was like two songs yeah. it was like on a, a CD. Was a yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we would buy that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we buy it, it was your we buy it again when it came out on the actual scene. right <laughs> they, they knew so how to get got to every which a way. lot of money yeah, yeah. every which way they get us um but you know now it's uh it's not like that i think there's a bunch of different ways to look at it um i think one of the positive things is like if i sold you a record i you know i would get that cash now but then that's it if you're streaming it, you might stream this record for 10 years yeah. before it fizzles out and moves on into the ether of, <laughs> of old music. Um, but, you know, that streaming revenue and that connection comes back. It doesn't get lost in your record collection. It doesn't get um, sold to a, a secondhand record store or something like that. Um, 
it has the potential at least to to stick around longer yeah i i I could agree with that but i mean how do you feel with the fact that i mean you said it before any any guy or girl can create music and put it on spotify i mean i'm an idiot i have a podcast like uh it's on spotify like anybody who wants to do anything can just go do it which is great it's great i love the ability that i have to do this and you know whatever it is it is but i mean do you feel there's a how many millions of podcasts are there i mean like i'm not gonna be the next joe rogan um never know i mean how (laughs) i wish (laughs) i mean i'm a huge fan we'll get that off, off the table there um but i mean it's almost oversaturated and how how is as a musician with music how do you um kind of break through all the noise yeah i mean i I think that in a lot of ways more accessibility to art is always a good thing you know um you know if it's good or not you know if it resonates with you or if it doesn't and um if the guy who spends thirty dollars on a microphone and a, and an interface puts a record on Spotify? Like, I have to trust that if it's not good, it's not going to resonate. Now, the the flip side of that coin is that same guy who really has something to say and is like a damn fine songwriter with no resources or connections. He can get his work out the same way that any other artist can get it out, and. I think that's been more of a negative in the past is that artists that are really, really great can't get their music out. Sure. Um, I would, I would rather have an oversaturated market where art, you know, the really great artists with no connections and no resources can get their music out than uh, a market that isn't necessarily oversaturated, but, artists have to have connections or money to to get something into the world i think that's or, bad for most or, people or smart advertising yeah advertising is expensive but, right but it's it's pretty neat how you can target people uh, like i was targeted that says yeah. hey if you like x y and z you might like this well it's it, it's incredible the way like online marketing is now it's it super accessible, um, scalable. So you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a billboard. (laughs) Right. You can, you can send, you can spend $2 a day on, on a Facebook ad that can be specifically targeted to, uh, dudes in their thirties to forties, uh, in Pennsylvania that like the gaslight anthem. Uh, like how you can you? get how that dare specific. You? How dare you? How did you know? How did you know? You, um, <laughs> you can, you can really zone in on your demographic or what you think is your demographic. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's marketing. It, it was really funny. Cause that ad that, that you're talking about, um, I, I ran that really early because when I put my stuff on Spotify, it tells you like a recommended if you like. Are you familiar with this thing on Spotify? So there's a section, if you click on a band, it'll say recommended if you like these like five or 10 hours. I didn't really know where my music lands at the time. 
Um, I think that's weird as an artist to be like, what is what does your music sound like? Give me three bands that you know that everyone knows that it's close to. That's that's for your that's for press to do. Like the artist doesn't need to do that because that gets murky. And then you're like, oh well, my identity is in sounding like this or sounding like that. And that's not. I don't think that's good for the artist who's trying to just create something that's genuine. But Spotify told me, like you know, the Gaslight Anthem or some other bands. So I put out this ad that was just a recommended if you like. Hey, if you like this band, you'll probably like this other band. And it was so funny because I just got, I got like 70% people like yourself. They're like, oh yeah, this is cool. This is like, I do like this and I do like this new thing. And then I got like 30% trolls, just like hard internet trolls that were like, how dare you compare your music? It's not nearly as good. And I'm like, like, it's not like I'm stealing their revenue here. Like these bands that like Spotify does this, Apple music does this, YouTube does this, like it, you just saw it in a different light. And the, the angry troll response was hilarious. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. The, yeah, I think the internet would fall apart at this point without them. I think they're holding up the bridges. They're underneath <laughs> the bridges as trolls holding up the internet uh, for better or for worse. What an amazing thing the internet is! Like we, you know, we're talking about you know you being able to promote your music and and all that kind of stuff in an effective way. But like, there are so many people out there who are sitting behind a keyboard and typing things out that they would never ever say to your face if you were, you know, face to face them. Just an amazing, amazing world. I always say we like, we're so connected or we're more connected now than ever before. But I feel like we're also like in the same breath where we don't know how to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. My wife and I have had this conversation quite a bit because, um, she is the, uh, optimist in our relationship and i am definitely like the hardcore pessimist i think that's a musician thing um (laughs) but my her take is like the the internet is this really good thing that has brought resources and opportunities to people that would have otherwise never had them not to mention like developments in technology people communicating across the globe that would have never been able to communicate to solve like big picture problems all kinds of stuff. Uh, and totally right. Mine is like, 100%. I'm the pessimist who's like, well, I see the opposite side of that coin where all the bad things. And, you know, like you're saying, we communicate more, but we dehumanize each other because it's not a face. Like this is the best we've got. Like I can see your face, but if it was just a picture of me and you were tight, we we're typing back and forth. It's hard to see the humanity there. Um, and I think we say things to each other that we would never say in person, never over, never. over a, a keyboard war that is like, maybe it's really important, but I think that it's, it's no longer, unfortunately, it's no longer a format for like real conversation because you can't if we had a conversation about something important in person, 
I think we both walk away and be like, okay, I see your point of view. I'm taking some thoughts. Maybe I didn't change my opinion completely, but I'm at least absorbing yours. Right. And what I see on online, and this is just my experience, but uh, it's people who are reading your comment just so they can go on some other website, find why you're wrong, come back and tell you that you're wrong. It's not like no one's there to learn or to grow. Um, So it's kind of like, it's just not really a place for, for growth anymore, which is a bummer. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's so crazy to me. It really is. And yeah, you can't, go ahead. Well, if, if you or somebody that listens knows of a place where this is happening and people are having a real conversation, send it to me because I would love to be there. But places like Twitter, Facebook, like all I see is majority uh, negative and, and people not treating each other very well. It's like, I don't want to hang out there. Yeah, I don't want to spend my time on those things. So, Well, it's such a, a tribal mentality. It's, and it's like, if you don't agree with me, you're against me. You know, it's, it's like, well, when did we, when did that happen? Like why, when, when could, when, when was someone's opinion and, and their viewpoints just like completely just disregarded? It just, it's wild to me. It's a bummer. It really yeah. is. Cause I think it, it, it can and could still be like this great tool for connecting people. And instead it's, Again, pessimist. Uh, it's more of a tool that divides people in a lot of ways. And hundred um, percent. Man, have you listened to? I'm going to fangirl for a second. Have you listened to this new uh, Noah Gungerson record? No, but I'm going to write it down. Okay. Uh, you're probably familiar with this stuff. He's a, he's a songwriter, um, singer, songwriter, kind of style kind of dabbles in some pop stuff um and he just put put out this record a couple weeks ago that has a couple songs that kind of touch on uh how the world is how he sees the world has been affected by um by social media and internet one of his big points is like we've got too much information Mm -hmm. yeah too much like we can't really digest that much information. There's no way that I could read all of these news outlets and scientific journals, you know, just talking about COVID and vaccinations. Like I'm just a a dude who has a job and a family and other shit to do. I, I don't have time or capacity to do that, but it's almost like, well, it's accessible. So why aren't you that educated? Well, right. And I also think like we can't trust what is being given to us. I mean, we really can't. And you know, the news outlets, I, I think the media is, is a large part of the problem of misinformation than, you know, a single person might be. And I just, it's, they're all for the clicks. They're all, you know, the headlines they create are, so you click on it and they, you know, build ad revenue from it that way. It's just, it's not like you back in our parents' day. And I, I talk about this a lot with just people at work or whatever. Like, you know, they think our generation is a bunch of soft babies and, you know, we need <laughs> mental health days and things like that. Right. 
I think every generation says that about the the previous or yeah, I was gonna say or whatever their, it is. Their parents said that about them. Yeah, but like and we'll you, probably say that about our kids. Yeah, <laughs> but you really think about it. You're, you think about like the world now compared to you know again. I don't know how old you are, but like our parents. Um, I'm 38. I'll be I'll be 39 in a week from today. No, um, happy happy birthday, early thanks. birthday. I appreciate it. I don't know when this will go. I'll out. be. I'll be 35 in November, so we're we're pretty close. All right, I thought I felt like you were younger, but thank you, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know when this will go out. This this will probably go out next next week, so this might be post my birthday, but whatever, not important. But like when our parents would go, they go to work nine to five, they'd come home, and work was done for the day, right? Mm-hmm. They come home, it was family. They weren't, and they they watched the five o'clock news or the six o'clock news, and for the most part, I think whatever was delivered to them was probably pretty accurate. Now, you know, we go to work and like, we're still accessible to work when we're home because of our phones. And, and, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of been, you know, trained to, to never kind of stop and never shut off and things need to be addressed. Well, even when you're not on the clock and then a 24 hour news cycle, I think is unhealthy too, because it's constantly, it's constant. It's like they don't. My my friend was talking the other day. It's like how everything is breaking news. Like, um, uh, a tree fell on a house. Breaking news. Where <laughs> back in the day, breaking news was like we're going to war with whoever, or a right. volcano erupted, and and you know, thousands of people are dead. Yeah, everything's breaking news now. It's like silly. It's just like it's constant, like fear mongering. It's just like just constant, like just it doesn't ever just shut off. And I don't know if that's how you feel or not, but that's how I feel. Um, I'm constantly like you know worried about my kid growing up in this this atmosphere because you know I half my life was spent with the internet or without the internet, and half of it was with it. So like I kind of was you know introduced to the internet when I was more towards an adult and mm-hmm. I wasn't as um, persuaded or influenced by that, that world. Um, our kids now, like, I mean, that's, that's all they're going to know. Yeah. And, you know, you think about, you know, bullying, you know, that it goes outside of school, people bully other kids on online. And I just can't imagine, and, and I'm going to have to try and navigate that. And I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't worry about it right now, but I do. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a parent. That's the, that's your job, you know, uh, to, to worry about the things that your kids aren't worried about yet. And try to try to have some foresight and get ahead of that for, for them. Um, I think, man, there, there's so much I, I want to say on that. One of those things, you know, the, the 24 hour news cycle and, and the, the work day kind of being 24 hours too. I think one of those, one of the issues is that the, our information is so targeted. So we were talking about marketing earlier. It's the same thing. If you go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you follow Fox news or you follow CNN or you follow any major news network, like you're getting targeted by folks who are marketing in that vein. So let's say you went and followed CNN. Well, other companies can target 
people who follow CNN or people who follow Fox or people who follow NBC or any media, any really anything, but news networks specifically. And then they can say, oh, well, this person is in our camp and they feed you more. So you get further and further from the folks that you disagree with on the other side and they're doing, and it's happening to them. And same, so it's pulling everyone apart. Right. Um, whereas sure back in the day, like our parents' generation, everybody watched the six o'clock news and there was two, three, maybe four networks that you could watch and they were slightly different, but for the most part, that was it. You watched your network that night. They reported something that was it. But now it's like you watch that network because you're not, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not sitting down and watching the news at six. No. Like we're getting it through, a lot of it is through social media um, or maybe YouTube or something like that. But then you can be targeted beyond that. So what you're seeing is, oh, the world is, is such a disaster and it's because of this. Or your neighbor is seeing, well, the world is such a disaster, but it's because this and it's that guy's fault. And your your feed is telling you it's that guy's fault, and it's like neither one of those are true, right? And we used to, I think, be able to see the common ground a lot better without that, and makes it tough, yeah, to to come together on stuff that like I think would be small time stuff that is big issues now. I think would be small time stuff if we could most of us get together and be like oh yeah there's more common ground here than there is not and we can make this work we can find a compromise but instead it's like no you're wrong i'm right this is black and white it's like nothing is black and white yeah you can go to hell you're not on my team yeah 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 it's just not that's that's not reality yeah well enough about the doom and gloom yeah sometimes some good shit we you know you talk about having things in common and one thing i saw uh about you since we started conversing over the internet was that uh the counting crows album um august and everything after is like in your top 10 now for sure for me i saw that and i'm like my man like for me, it's like it's top, it's top five. That may have been all right, top five. Yeah, it was a '93, I think it was, and so I was like 11, and my cousins will still make fun of me to this day. Um, they would come in for a week every summer, and they stay the week with my family. And at the time, I had purchased the the tape of that that release on cassette tape, and. I would play it on this little uh, cassette player that I had and I would like wake up before everyone else. And I was just sitting in the, the dining room of my grandparents' house and I'd play in the cassette and reading the lyrics from like start to finish. And I just remember that so vividly. And that band is like one of like the first, like, I don't know. I, I, it's not the first band that I ever like ever like fell in love with, I guess maybe it is, but that was like, you know, really uh, special for me. So when I saw yeah. that, I was like, "That's, I'm excited to talk to you." <laughs> yeah, I, man, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan and have like followed since around that same time. I was probably it was probably like I remember 1996 being a huge year for music for me as a kid. It was kind of like 
I remember as a kid, my dad's a big, he's not a musician, but he he's, was a big music nerd when I was growing up. And he was a member of this like CD uh, catalog thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Do you remember this? Yeah, okay. like you paid, a, you paid a penny, I think it was, and you got all these CDs, but it was not, I don't remember not what, true. I don't remember what it was. What I do remember is that he would, uh, he's, he'd get this big, thick catalog like every quarter, and you would order which CDs you wanted. CDs were pretty new at the time, so it was, God, I sound old. Uh, but uh, CDs were pretty new, so he had a lot of records on vinyl, and he was mostly like, getting them on CD because now we could listen to them in the car. And sure. um, obviously you couldn't do that with vinyl. So it was a lot of stuff that he had already had, but then they would send you like, if you ordered five CDs, they'd send you five CDs of something new or mm-hmm. something that you didn't order. And that's how I found the counting crows. It's how I found the wallflowers. I remember um, that's how I found Bush I don't know if you were a Bush fan oh, in the 90s, but Bush was I'll tell you dope. stories about that, too. Uh, but I remember, this is really funny, we got uh, one of the CDs that he didn't order was a was uh, 16 Stone. And it, if you remember, the, the cover that I remember was Stonehenge, but it said Bush. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Okay. Yes. Uh, and my dad looked at that and he said, oh, I said, Dad, this looks cool. Let's listen to it. Part of the, the caveat of the CD club was if you opened the CD, you you owned it. You had to pay for it. But if you didn't open it, it was cool. So I was like, Dad, let's open this and listen to it. And he looked at it and he said, oh, this is Rush. You don't want to listen to this. And he <laughs> <laughs> sent it back. No. Um, turns out it was Bush that yeah. I, you know, I did want to listen to. Um, I probably would not have liked Rush. Um but anyway um, i like rush now but not not i wouldn't have liked it back then i don't think i could have yeah i don't think i could have got past the vocals and i don't think i would have been into the musical like the musicality side of it enough at that age to be like oh what they're doing is really cool and i think i would have been like who is this middle-aged woman singing um (laughs) and now i'm like oh it's getty lee and he's playing bass singing and playing keyboards with his feet like that's incredible um but uh that's how i got a ton of music early on stuff that seems to have stuck with me till now 90s rock and stuff like uh i'm total matchbox 20 fan like absolutely that kind of stuff um Man, one of the biggest uh, <laughs> biggest bummers of the pandemic for me was Matchbox 20 had announced the Matchbox 20 2020 tour and the Wallflowers were opening. And I was like, this is going to be the best day of my life. Yeah. This is, um, and obviously they had to cancel because of, uh, of COVID, but um, total geek for that stuff. Um, Their first album and, was phenomenal. Absolutely Twenty, absolutely so good. And like the songs, but then the musicality—it's kind of. I'm not comparing them to the Beatles. I'm saying that, in the same sense as the Beatles, like when you listen to a Beatles song, you're like, "Oh, that's really cool." If you picked up a guitar and tried to play a Beatles song, most of them, 
you'd be like, what the, what is going on? Like, this is really, this is different. This is strange. I, this, yeah. You got to work at it. And Matchbox 20 had a lot of stuff like that too, where like you pick it up and you try to play it and you're like, oh, this is not the simple pop song that I thought it was. It just kind of came off that way on the radio, which I think is very cool. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of songs on that album that were like fantastic that never even got radio play. Was it uh, Coda? I think one of the songs. Oh, Cody. 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 Yeah, it's a great song. Great song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's the, what are you talking about? Um, dang, what is the name of that record? Um, their first one. It had Push. Yeah. Was it was it uh you or someone like you or something like that? Or yeah, that sounds right. I'm thinking they had one that was called Exile on Main Street. That was the follow up. Yeah. I have the I have the internet at my fingertips. We can do yeah, this. there you go. We can do this. We can do this. Matchbox 20. Yourself or someone like you. Mm-hmm. And that's the one with the, the guy with the goggles, right? The, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Mad Season was the follow-up to that. Mad the season. Exile album you were talking about, that was like, well, late. That was Exile on Mainstream, 2007. Man. I want to say that was like a B-Sides or, or something, but it ended up having a bunch of great songs on it. Great songs. Um, How Far We've Come was excellent. Yeah. All, all Your Reasons, These Hard Times. Yeah, I mean, that era too, like, you know, Bare Naked Ladies were great back then. Yeah. Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls, yes. Yes. Uh, Incubus. Yeah, Incubus. Tell me you're an yeah. Incubus fan. I just watched. Oh, yeah. They just did a, a live stream. I was... I was kind of bummed. They just did a live stream to celebrate the 20th anniversary of um, shit. The record with Drive. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, no, no. Wish you were here. But the oh, Morning View. Morning View, yeah. Morning View. And so I, I, I purchased it 25 bucks, no big deal. But like they just like came on, ripped through every song, it was done. And oh, I was really? Like, yeah, I was like, this is cool. I mean, I love this album. It was like I was a freshman in college, I think it was. Yeah, freshman in college. So it was like very like tied to like unknowns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Wish You Were Here is like one of my favorite songs in the world. But yeah, so they came on, ripped through it, and that was it. I was like hoping for some kind of like dialogue, maybe some like mm. background on song or just like anything. Like, hey, we know the world's crazy right now, but thanks for hanging out with us and uh you know whatever i mean 20 years is a long time they even said before it started they're like you know like there was a kind of like a voiceover they were saying how the their lives now are completely different than what it was 20 years ago they have families and kids and all that kind of stuff but yeah that was it i was expecting some some more so i mean i, I enjoyed it but i was also kind of like bummed out yeah i really miss the um <coughs> excuse me i miss the um you'll remember this because um you were probably watching this too, but the VH1 storytellers, like behind the music stuff that they yep. would do, where it was like a band, <clears throat> they would play a song live in a in like a small venue, like a small theater, yep. and then they would cut to the band talking about the song, and maybe they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we had this drum groove that was really great." 
and we were working with it for five years and then we finally got like this great melody that made the song pull together or they might say like uh you know we had this great song and it just happened overnight in the studio and we recorded it and it was a number one hit like they would give you this stuff behind the scenes that to me i remember watching that was probably even before i like had a guitar and i was just like this is magic i'm 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 like hearing the magicians tricks here and like what how this happened how they made the car disappear and reappear and i remember seeing that with matchbox 20 i remember there was a really cool one with uh dave matthews band that was on vh1 but they did a ton of stuff in the 90s that was like you got to see it was like it was like if mtv unplugged did a song and then stopped and then they interviewed the band Mm -hmm. and then they went right back to the show it was the coolest thing um i'm sure somebody's doing that on the internet now and i just haven't well i uh discovered it yet i'm glad you said that too because like i feel like back then when bands would do that it was it was special but now i feel like bands are so connected to their audience you know whether it's youtube facebook so any social media platform the release of a single every six weeks it kind of i think it kind of like it loses that magic because it's it's always there it's like okay well yeah i mean it's it's there it's accessible at any time that i want it yeah as opposed to oh you know kurt loader just came on and said that <laughs> you know they're going to be on mtv this this friday and at eight o'clock like oh i have to sit down and watch it that's special yeah if i miss it i can't record it there's no dvr i can't record it. i gotta watch it now yeah or even if just... you could record it you were still having to watch the same thing it wasn't like right. uh you know a, a twitch live stream of somebody that you see them streaming on friday and i see them on wednesday and we kind of get the same thing in different on different days yeah yeah i mean i think yeah i don't know what's what's better or worse I, the internet i always say is a blessing and a curse think about where we would have been without the internet in march of 2020 and through the rest of the year without the internet how would we would have how would we have eaten we had groceries delivered to our homes I still have groceries delivered to my home. Guilty. I got so used to the convenience of it. I was like, you know what? Five bucks for them to deliver to my house? Like, shit. Worth it. Worth it. Okay. That's that's $5 I can spend. I hate grocery shopping, too. I mean, it's like like an hour out of my day that I don't ever want to do. I know. There's some 16-year-old kid down there who's going to do it for me and they're going (laughs) to deliver it? That's done. Sign me up. And and my, my wife's an incredible cook and she loves like every... She loves going to the grocery store, but it's so damn convenient that like we don't. She doesn't even do it anymore. Yeah, um, that's why Jeff Bezos, you know, tripled his income. He's got all. He's got all of our money. All of it. The funny thing is, though, like sometimes that sixteen-year-old who's picking out your groceries uh, doesn't know what a parsnip is, and you get like <laughs> you get like a bag of carrots, and you're like, these are not parsnips. What we- the hell? Like, <laughs> we got cabbage one time when we wanted a head of lettuce. I mean, close, <laughs> close, right? But yeah, not the close. same thing. Same I, family, but I can't you know, put a, I can't put a, yeah, I can't put a leaf of cabbage on my turkey sandwich <laughs> and enjoy it. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, I can't imagine where we'd be without the internet. 
during a pandemic? I guess we would have figured it out, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that we adapt. That's what we do. Like, I think we're really good at it. And we'd have figured it out. You know, we may not even have known about it. If you were in some small town without the internet, you yeah. might have just been like, well, there's a pandemic. <laughs> there's what? What? Like, it didn't, you know, because travel has changed too so much because of the internet and accessibility and, and like pricing. I remember even growing up, like, flights were so expensive. You didn't really you didn't fly anywhere. Yeah. You just didn't. And now it, it's like you can fly a lot of places cheaper than you could drive them. That's the truth. One cool thing that I had happen for the first time in my life was I got booze delivered to the house. Oh, did you oh. use the uh, the Drizzly or what's the... Uh... Well, there's so many of them now. I used uh, uh, a service called... What was it? It was Cask Cartel. Okay. Um, which was awesome because I don't know. I know you're a whiskey connoisseur, right? Trying to be. Trying to be, yeah. I I am not. I'm more of a beer guy. Um, I like having whiskey. You know, we're we're having one virtually tonight, right? Here we go. Cheers. All right, cheers. Um, I'm drinking Buffalo Trace. Ooh, great so it's choice. Almost impossible to get around here for some reason, like in store. I don't know why. Same. But I was able to get it from Cask Cartel, but I also paid out the ass for it. Uh. It's been crazy here. Any Buffalo Trace product has been um, the guy at the at the liquor store by my house said it's been allocated. So like stores only get so much. They don't. It's no longer like oh, what are you selling? If you're selling more, we'll give you more. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Now it's like you get X amount of bottles a month, and that's it. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. The demand that's gone up. But your, Buffalo Trace is one of my favorites. I was gonna ask you, what's your go-to? Ooh, if I could if I could get it and it's not crazy expensive, it would it would probably be Buffalo Trace. Um I really love I really love rye whiskeys. Um I'm just a like I'm a bold flavor kind of guy, I like black coffee, I like rye whiskey, which is like very forward. It, it's smooth, but it's got a, a really bold flavor. Um so uh, Old Forester has a rye. It's a hundred proof rye that I think is awesome. Um, I actually have, I brought this in my studio to show you. I, I went to Kentucky recently and I scored a bottle of this Elijah Craig rye, Nice, which I'd never even seen before. I didn't know Elijah Craig made a rye. So I, I'm guessing it's new. Um, but we're in Tennessee. So we're right next to Kentucky where all the bourbon in the entire world was made. Right. Um, so anytime I roll through Kentucky, I always stop at some some roadside liquor stores and find stuff where it's like, oh, you could never like Buffalo Trace is there. It's all over and it's cheap. Really. And if I if I found it in Nashville, it would be crazy expensive, and it would be like, well, it's expensive, but I'm I'm not going to see it for another six months, so I better just buy it. <laughs> uh, in Kentucky, it's just it's grown on trees. I bought one of the big ones, the huge bottles one time. I should have bought two, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I got to do my, uh, my wife and I, our birthdays are like two weeks apart. So we, every year 
before last year, I've gone to Louisville and done distillery tours uh, and just seen like how the stuff is made. And they have the the bourbon trail. I'm sure you've heard of that. But mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of distilleries that are on that. There's a lot of distilleries that aren't. And one of the first ones we did was Buffalo Trace. And it was it was unbelievable. Like the tour was with this guy that his grandfather had worked at the distillery and his father had worked at the distillery. And he now he's in his 60s and he works at the distillery. So it's like generations of people have done this and like, yeah, it was wild. Wasn't that, didn't it start before prohibition? Yeah. So they were one of the few, like one of their claims to fame is that they got to operate through prohibition because, uh, it was for medicinal purposes. Right. (laughs) And what the guy told us was, uh, you could get, if you had a doctor's note, which like what was a doctor (laughs) then, uh, (laughs) there wasn't a ton of training. Yeah. yeah, they were they were probably still bleeding people out for uh, diseases. But um, if you had a note, you could get a pint of hooch a week for every man, woman, and child in your family. Which, like people back then, they, you know, they were having lots of kids. It wasn't like you had one or two kids, right? You'd have eight, half nine, a dozen, or yeah, yeah or ten kids, and. That was pretty normal. See, you had a lot of, you had a doctor's note for a lot of booze there, uh, considering it was illegal at the time. What a world. What a world to live in. It's like no internet. It's it's funny to think about. So here's what's funny to think about. Yeah, no internet, but like their problems were like, I hope I don't die at 35 years old, Mm -hmm. which I guess is a big problem, right? Yeah, same. Uh, Same. But, um, yeah, they didn't have to worry about the government spying on you or right. anybody spying on you for that matter. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy to think about. And it wasn't that long ago either. Like if, if you really think about it, it's like when I was younger and I thought about things, I'm like, oh, that was like a thousand years ago. Now that I'm older <laughs> and like time is slipping by, I'm on a kick now where like I'm almost 40, right? If I'm If I'm lucky... I'm lucky I live till I'm 80, which means my life is halfway over. Yeah. Right? And then out of those 40 years that I hope to God that I have left, how many of those years are going to be good years? Meaning, you know, no health issues at all, you know, just going through life like I do now. 10, 15, maybe, Hmm. hopefully, 20? Nah, I think you. I think yeah. I think you got at least twenty. Hope. I think with medicine, man. I hope, man. I hope it'll be good. I did. Be good. My my dad passed away. He was fifty-two. So now I'm like, oh man, I got like thirteen years left. Yeah, that's that's tough. Okay, on the flip side of that coin, uh, my dad has been a hockey player his entire life. He just had knee replacement surgery last year. And is back playing hockey again. He's 64, 63. Damn. Sorry, dad. 63 or 64 years old. And that's sweet. Playing ice hockey like a, like a young man. Um, but he's so, it sounds like so, he's been in shape though for him. Mean, he's been active this entire life. Yeah. See, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm guilty of not being active like that. <laughs> I need to start doing that. They say that's one of the best things for you is to keep your mind and, 
body yeah active and you don't have to be you don't have to be bench pressing 450 pounds but like just, just gotta move that's what i you gotta move yeah i have Figure kettlebells i've got kettlebells I, I just gotta start swinging them around Ooh, kettlebells are rough man that's a hell of a workout i have a uh i have a baby now that i carry and i call that my workout we have a that was another part of the pandemic for us was uh, we found out we were having a kid. So we've got a six month old little girl. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It's been a wild, amazing ride. It was like everything that everybody ever told you about having kids. It, it was that like it, everybody told me it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. And I realized I'm only six months in, uh, lots of time left to go. But uh, it has been that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's people who don't have children will never understand, you know, when parents talk about these things. I never understood it until I had had a kid. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I cry at random just out of pure happiness sometimes. And <laughs> huge baby. Um, and then there's nights like, there was two weeks ago when he decided to throw himself off the couch and hit his head off the, uh, the corner of a coffee table uh, through his ear and hit him in the back of the head. So I spent uh, the, the evening in the uh, ER. Um, no stitches, thankfully. No head injury, thankfully. But um, He's four, you said? He'll be four in December, yeah. And he, oh, man. So he's probably super scared. He was, yeah. He was, I mean, he's, I think it's, it's harder. I hope you never experience anything like that. I think it's impossible not to when you're a parent, but um, it's harder on you than it is them, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, he was initially, yeah. he was like, <laughs> yeah, he was definitely scared and crying because there was blood running down the side of his face. But on the way to the the ER, he, like, we're trying to make sure that like, he was okay because he had hit the back of his head too. And we're like, are you okay? Because he just kind of like, was staring at us. And it turns out he was just like goofing mm-hmm. on us. Like he just like, like he just stared at us. I'm like, are you, dude, are you okay? And he just smiled. I was like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh my God, concussion, yeah. brain damage, yeah. all these, yeah. all these worst case scenario. And he's laughing it off. Yeah. The doctor comes out and he's like, man, okay. He did hit the back of his head. So, you know, we, we put this in the hands of the parents. Um, do you want to do a CAT scan or not? And we're like, well, I'm not a doctor. So, I need some guidance here. He's like, well, it's really up to you guys. I can't I'm here because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, what, what are the negative things that like from him having one? And he's like, okay, well, consider mm-hmm. it was the amount of radiation that he will experience is if you were to fly to California and back. And I'm like, oh, well, I wouldn't think twice about flying to California and back with him. Wait a minute. Is there radiation when I fly to California? Apparently. Oh, shit. I Apparently. Should have read the fine print. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm like, in that case, I'm like, well, I thought it was fine. Like he wasn't acting out of, out of sorts. But and then like, I was for my first kid. I'm like, I don't want that brain damage. Put him in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me what it costs. Just put him in the thing. and We'll make sure he's okay. Yeah. I've got insurance. I hope it's good. Just, just do it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's one of the, 
it's it's an absolute joy. I mean, I, I never thought. I wish I wish we did it earlier. I was about the same age you are. Yes, it's thirty-five. Yeah. But uh, my wife was in school for a long time. She decided to take the uh, long route to a career. Um, we were having a lot of fun together. She's four years younger than me, so like we're traveling, doing this and doing that. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, financially ready to have a child. And so it was a little later in life. And if I knew what I know now, I probably would have tried to do it earlier, so I wouldn't be an old dad. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. I think old old dad is the new young dad. Like you, you won't be. I don't think you're out of place. I've got most of my friends don't have kids, and they're my age. And I'm like, if you guys are going to do it, like, yeah, staying up all night with a newborn is tough. That was really tough at 34. I can't imagine doing it at 44 yeah that you know that's going to be a whole different game yeah but um yeah man we did the same thing like we got her home and i didn't know anything about babies and my wife was researched the whole thing and like same you know (laughs) you know basically parented me while parenting the kid um oh i lost you there you go um, and, uh, I remember the first thing we did is we had her on the couch and, and we'll do a lot of nights where we'll sit there and just pass the, pass the Spotify back and forth and play, you know, I'll play a song, she'll play a song, that kind of thing. And this time we just did it and like cried our eyes out because every song was all of a sudden about either being a parent or be, or our daughter. And it was like, you know everything you knew now is in a different light and has a different, uh, a different lens on it. And it's crazy to talk to people who are four years down the line. And that's not, you know, that's not that far, you know, yeah. the, the kid is not, uh, even close to being out of the house. Uh, but it's like, you're still experiencing the same thing that I am Yeah, as far as like, <clears throat> the the parenting side of it it's like they just they change so much and so quickly and i am not changing <laughs> that quickly no no and it's been six months for me it's yeah. not like it's uh dude get ready my wife oh dude my wife loves to tell me uh when when we're like having a family moment she'll she'll look at me and she'll be like you know Someday you're gonna have to walk her down the aisle, and I'm like, God damn it! Like, <laughs> that's so now far I'm from crying. That's so now far. I'm crying. You yeah. can't bring that on me. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they there's a good there's a good saying that you know I never heard until I had a child, and it, it, the truest thing I've ever heard, I think. But the the days are long, and the years are short. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when you're in it, and like the baby's crying and you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're doing this and you're doing that. And she's feeding them and whatever it is, it feels like the longest day of your life. Yeah. Now, now I feel like I blinked and you know, he was six months and now he's going to be four years old. It's, it's a, such a wild, wild thing. It is. And I, and I don't know that I would have ever been like, Oh yeah, I really want like want to do this as a parent, but it's been the best thing for me ever. And, and I think, um, I wouldn't have done it out of fear just because I'm like, well, what if I'm bad at this? Like, it's not like 
it's not like you get a do-over it's not like, <laughs> um it's not like the uh you know the kids get a second chance at growing up like but it instead of that pressure feeling like too much it was like oh okay well this is a lot of pressure but i've got to rise to it and it kind of forces you i think especially as a guy to be like okay well i'm just i'm gonna find a way to be better i'm gonna find a way to to be what this kid needs and and to make this work and um i don't know man maybe maybe uh you don't feel this way but I, i just felt like my wife had these instincts that I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> did we, does she need a diaper? Is she hungry? Like that was kind of the extent of it for me. And then my wife was like, Oh no, I can like, this is what's going on. And sure enough, that's what was going on. Um, yeah. I, I, I have definitely have a wife that's uh, way smarter than me. Um, same, so yeah. Same. So she was, I think more prepared than I was, but, and we both really just jumped in and it was, it's, you know, you, so much of it changes. I, I literally cried at the blue October concert. So I'm a grown 38 year old man and I'm crying at a, a concert. <laughs> and it's cause he's, he was, and he was addicted to drugs. Um, he's sober now and he's has been for quite a long time, but he was telling a story about the day that he lost his daughter. And um, I forget the story exactly. I was too busy crying, but, um, essentially like he was supposed to have his daughter. I think he forgot about her or whatever. And his dad came, mm. picked up his daughter and was like, basically like, you're never going to see her again. And I was just like thinking to myself, like how devastating that would have been for me. If like someone told me that I couldn't see my kid again. Yeah. Um, and what a place that he must've been in that he was choosing drugs over his child because I know that there's nothing in my life that I would ever choose over my son. So if, in his situation, like that's just wild to think about, but then how you know, he cleaned up his act, he's got full custody of his daughter now and, and life is good. He's sober and he's you know, happier than he oh, can ever great. imagine. So yeah. So I'm hearing the story of like complete sadness and like then happiness because he got her back and you know, all this kind of like, so I'm like a roller coaster ride at a freaking concert, the Sherman right. theater of Stroudsburg. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening here? Like, what has fatherhood done to me? <laughs> yeah, I've definitely, uh, I've definitely cried more in the past six months than I probably have in my entire adult life. And it's like, yeah. it's, you just, you feel things differently. And it used to be, oh, suck it up. And now it's like, well, yeah, it's not about me anymore. It's yep. not like, it's not, it's not, affecting just me um or even like just my my wife who's a grown very capable adult human who can handle herself like it's this innocent thing that like can't take care of itself and needs me on some level to take care of it like i yeah it's a but it's also like as much as like i said the pressure makes you rise it's it's the most inspiring thing like as an artist to not just not just writing songs but just like every day you wake up and it's like what what are they gonna do today you know what is she gonna she's gonna do something different today and like 
And I, I wake up and I'm like, if I don't get a cup of coffee in the next half an hour, I'm going to be a really terrible person. And, and there's my daughter just smiling ear to ear to me, regardless of how much coffee I've had or how happy I am. So instantly I'm like, well, this is the best day ever. Yeah. <laughs> the coffee is just a bonus. If she's happy, then I can find a way to be happy too. And, um, it's a really, it's been a really cool thing. Yeah. I'm happy for you, man. I always, I always, uh, I'm a sucker for happiness. Like I cry at weddings because I see you know two people, the happiest that I've ever seen them on their wedding day. Um, you know, friends reunited you know, at mm-hmm. weddings and, um, now it's you know other people finding the joy of parenthood that that, that kind of gets me but yeah yeah it's crazy I'm, I'm excited for um some of my friends who who don't have who don't have kids to to do that and to like experience that and i don't know just a different it's a different world it, it's weird and i say that you know Parenthood is not for everyone. If you don't want kids, that's fine. I'm not going to try and push it on you. But for just one day, and not to to make them want kids, but just for one day, I want them to experience the joy of having that kid. Just one day, just to experience it. Then you know you can go on with your life, and you know you can go on without without children if you want want to. But it's a it's definitely a different uh, different emotion. Well, I think it's, I think it's kind of like if you've ever been, uh, the, the single guy and like, you've got some friends who are in, you know, re- rewind maybe like 10 or 15 years and you're the single guy and you've got friends who are in relationships, what are they doing? Them and the person they're in the relationship with, they're trying to set you up with somebody, right? Why? You're like, I'm single. I'm, I'm fine with this. Uh, and they're like, no, no, no. I found so much fulfillment and happiness in this in, in a healthy relationship with another person and they want you to have that too. And maybe you're, you know, maybe not ready for it at that point and that's okay, but their intention is good. Yeah. You know, they're trying to show you something that they've found that's really special and, and has brought them fulfillment. And I think it's the same thing when you're, uh, when you're a parent and you're like, Oh man, if you, if you want to do it, like have a kid, but it's also, a bigger Sac- commitment. Sacrifice. <laughs> a sacrifice too. I mean Oh, for sure. Yeah. You're dating a girl. I mean, you're both adults. You can be like, hey, listen, I'm going to do this and you go do that. We'll 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 be all right. But a kid, mm-hmm. you can't just leave it there. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's a it's a it's a different level of of responsibility and commitment and and it doesn't go away. That's no, the other thing. It's ever, like ever. My yeah. mom you, know, you gotta supposed- die to get out of it. You yeah. know? That's the only way <laughs> they're going to cling to you until you die. And then probably beyond that, but you, we won't. Know. Yeah. Well, let's leave it on a happy note. <laughs> I could let's probably sit here and talk to you all night, but my yeah, two man. listeners probably doesn't want, they probably want to hear that. Yeah. They got stuff to do. But, uh, so real quick before we wrap things up, uh, we talked about the song, um, that's going to be released on the streaming platforms on November 5th. Is that still accurate? That's right. Yeah. All right. Borrowed Sparks, November 5th, Tom Petty cover of Refugee. Uh, and then a few days later, November 9th, they're going to release the uh, live video of that song. And then uh, where can people find you on on all the uh, the, the social channels? 
everything's at borrowed sparks instagram twitter facebook um borrowedsparks.com i don't have the tiktok yet i I'd, I'd probably need to do it i i'll be honest with you downloaded the app i just haven't done it yet it's uh same it's a lot you know, I'm on it's, it. It's a big step. It's, it's funny, dude. Like, I'm not that funny. I'm not that creative. I'm no. Not, no, one, yeah. no one cares what I have to say or do. I can, I can do one thing, and that's pick up the guitar and play a song for you. Like, I, I feel like that's not entertaining enough to designate an entire TikTok account. Yeah. Uh, to just that. Or maybe I could maybe I could take videos of myself drinking bourbon, uh, but that doesn't seem very interesting either. So, I don't know. I had to think of some other angle for it. Yeah, I don't know. Good luck. Well, if, you gotta, find it, if you find one, let me know because I, again, I'm not, I don't have that much time either. I feel like that takes a lot of time out of your right. day. It's not even the time. I don't worry about the time as much of me like posting something. It's how much time am I going to waste like scrolling? Like, okay, I got on this thing to post a video, but now I got sucked into 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or an hour of like, oh, what's this thing? Like, yeah. I already have three other social media accounts that I do that with. Like, I don't need a fourth one. Yeah. I just need them to rotate. I just need one to die. <laughs> Let's quit, I, quit one, add a new one. I can yeah. handle that. I, I reserve TikTok for bathroom time. That's 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 smart. That's where I leave it because I'll get sucked. Like you're, like you're saying, I get sucked in. I can't sacrifice time with my family. I can't sacrifice time at work, but that's all. TikTok is a bathroom app is what you're telling me. Yes. It's a yes. toilet app only. Yeah. Now I, there's times where you'll try and stand up <clears throat> and your legs will be numb. <laughs> but your pinkies go these numb. Are, these are the sacrifices yeah. that we have to make. <laughs> well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It's been like, what, an hour and a half now? Hour 40 yeah, minutes? Yeah, man, I've, I've a, enjoyed it. It's been good. It's been a minute. So uh, I'm thankful for the internet for uh, instances like this because you know what? Had we not had the internet, I may never have known who you were. I may have never had the pleasure to talk to you for an hour and a half. Um, so I, that, for that, I'm thankful. Yeah, man, I enjoyed it too. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Cool, man. Thanks. Uh, enjoy your family. Enjoy the little girl. And uh, I'd like to say I hope to see you soon, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, this is the world is as big as it is. It's very small, so who knows? You'll you'll see me digitally uh, soon. Maybe if we'll book, not uh, in person. I've, I've worked a lot of venues over the years. I'm still tied to them. Maybe we get you a show up here in uh, the Scranton Wilkesbury area. Yeah, man, I'd love that. That'd or be great. if I'm tra- if I'm traveling to Nashville for some reason, I'll hit you up. Yeah, come on down. It's we, possible. We'd have a good time. It's possible. Yeah. All right, man. Best of luck with the new song, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, brother. See you, dude.